Welcome back to a new episode of the I Have No Idea What I'm Doing podcast, a show that helps African women at the start of their entrepreneurship journey reach their business, money, and lifestyle goals faster. I'm your host, Paula Rogo in Nairobi, Kenya. After a week away, I'm back and I'm ready to finish the last few episodes of this season strong. So thank you so much for tuning in to my podcast. And I'm excited about this week's guest. Today, my guest is Tahira Nizari, an agribusiness entrepreneur based out of Tanzania. Tahira is the co-founder of Kazi Yetu, which means our work in Kiswahili. And Kazi Yetu is a social enterprise agribusiness. The thing is that commodities that are exported from Africa tend to be predominantly processed, branded, and packaged abroad. And when that happens, it minimizes the economic benefit in the country of origin. And so when that happens, it leads to inequalities on our side of the world and inequalities in trade as well as inequality in prosperity. And so the work that Tahir is doing with Kazietu and the products they create are working against that trend. And they're already doing that with their first product, which you might have already heard of actually, called the Tanzania Tea Collection. The Tanzania Tea Collection sources, blends, flavors, and packages teas with flavors that range from exotic spices in Zanzibar, one of my favorite places, to dried citrus and herbs that are grown in small and large-scale farms in Tanzania. Every aspect of the final product of the Tanzania tea collection is grown, harvested, dried, blended, packaged, and branded in Tanzania. This is really key because by doing things this way, the Tanzania Tea Collection and Kazietu are then able to provide jobs and income for Tanzanians. So why does this matter? According to the IFC, agribusiness plays a vital role in economic development and contributes a major portion of GDP, employment, and foreign exchange earnings in many developing countries. This is particularly true in Africa, where we are, where agriculture accounts for 25% of the continent's GDP, 25%, and 70% of the employment is an agribusiness. I knew this, but I also did not know this, I'll be honest. And I know very little about the agribusiness space. So in speaking to Tahira, she was very kind to answer some of my more basic questions about agribusiness and then also the work that she's doing with Kazietu and the Tanzania Tea Collection. I definitely did not know what I was doing, but for those of you who are also new to the space, Tahira is the perfect guide. So in our conversation together, she starts by telling us about Kazietu and where the idea for the company came from. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Great. So Kazietu is a social enterprise. We're, we consider ourselves an agribusiness. Uh, we engage in agriculture and trade. Um, and essentially, Kazietu in Swahili means our work. And really, that's what we're about. We're about creating jobs. We're about creating work opportunities that 
that people can be proud of and that have, you know, economic potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and really where, where this comes from is, you know, we, we just see a lot of loss opportunity within existing um, agriculture value chains mm-hmm. um, in Tanzania, but even beyond, I think, across Africa. Yeah. Um, and so what we're trying to do with Kazietu is really promote these job opportunities within our value chains um, as much as we can. Mm-hmm. So that would be through manufacturing, industrialization. It would be through um, new new types of economic activities like packaging, blending, yeah. branding, yeah. et cetera. So that's yeah. really the background of it. Um, but where, where did the inklings of, you know, I think I want to do something like this come from? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I have a development background. I'm an, I was an NGO worker for many, many years. Um, I worked in the agriculture space and the economic development space. Um, I worked like, you know, on programs supporting women's savings groups, um, income generation, et cetera. And the more I was like working on designing these types of projects and implementing them, the more I realized, no, it's not, you know, the projects were not super sustainable. Um, we would close out projects and, and, you know, we would be a little bit disappointed in the outcome. Um, and then I thought, you know what, I just have to do this as a proper investment. Like I'm tired of just, um, sitting back and, and seeing where things go. So that's really the background. Um, but secondly, you know, the, our, our first brand under Kazietu is Tanzania Tea Collection. Mm-hmm. And the major reason why we started it is because I'm a tea lover. And so I was like, I really want to make good tea. Were there other options? Were there other products or services you were considering before tea? Yes, actually. So, well, tea was definitely the first and we stuck with our gut instinct. But definitely we hope that Kazietu in the future will be like a whole range of products. Yeah. So other products we are looking at um, are cashew butters and different nut butters. Mm-hmm. And basically, again, very similar to, to what I was saying is, you know, cashews in Tanzania predominantly are just exported in, in raw. Mm-hmm. And so what we're trying to do is say, hey, why don't we focus on processing and packaging here mm-hmm. um, and then sell it as a final product. So cashew butters and then we're looking at oils. All, any basically anything that's agri-based that has the potential for value addition. Okay. So basically, what is agribusiness for those who don't know? Why even choose to go into this like particular sector? So agribusiness is essentially um, anything to, that you can do within buying and selling of agriculture products. So it's a huge industry across Africa and across generally the global south. Um, and so, for example, in Tanzania, it would be, you know, we, we grow a lot of cotton, we grow a lot of coffee, cashews, mm-hmm. tea, mm-hmm. Um, maize, etc. And so really, it's everything from the farm level, all the way up to the marketing level, and, you know, the export levels. Yeah. And so, um, and yeah, even the input supply levels, like seeds and fertilizer and mm-hmm. organic inputs, etc. Mm-hmm. And so it is, I mean, just looking at the proportion of agriculture in, in, you know, the national um, GDP, mm-hmm. it just makes such a big part of it. And it just, you know, if you really want to have an impact and if you really want to create jobs, then definitely I, the agriculture space is, you know, the future yeah. um, in a lot of countries across Africa. So that's really why we, why we chose this space. And is Kazia too specific to Tanzania or are you looking to do work outside, in other African countries outside of Tanzania as well? I mean, I would love to do it across Africa. So one one thing that's really interesting for us, one thing we are promoting is um, traceability. 
And okay. so ideally, one like, you know, someone sitting in Europe, you know, picks up our tea or another product and, and scans the barcode on it and would be able to trace back the product to, to its origin. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be really cool to have, you know, we have different climates across Africa. We have different terrains, different commodities, different crops. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it would be so cool to have like, you know, vanilla from Madagascar blended with a black tea from Rwanda, which mm-hmm. they have beautiful um, tea grades there and mm-hmm. just have a, a complete range. And then someone can just experience the entire journey of their product. Yeah. So yes, we would love to go across Africa. And this idea of a traceable product and being able to trace it all the way back to, you know, it's original form and even who made it. Why does that matter when you think about global trade and global business? That's a great question. I mean, I think that globally consumers are shifting towards this um, ethically conscious, socially conscious um, consumption. Mm-hmm. People want to know that what they're paying for and through their consumption, that they are not having a negative impact on the environment and on, you know, on people. Yeah. Um, especially recently with all this, like these issues of labor in the fashion industry and um, child labor, etc. And so really people are willing to pay a little more mm-hmm. to, um, to have a positive impact. Yeah. So that's really what, why we think traceability is the future. Yeah. And we'd love to pioneer that. And so with the Tanzania tea collection, can I trace (laughs) where my tea is coming from? So, I mean, we're at like very early days of this. So we're just prototyping right now. So if you did scan the barcode on our packaging, it would take you to our website, which tells the stories of the different farmers and where the tea comes from. But like, yeah, we want to go way further um, digitalizing it. So one day. (laughs) So what I really loved um, about reading your story and the work that you're doing with Kazietu and then also into the Tanzania, Tanzania Tea Collection is how you're trying to um, sort of bring the value chain um, into the country as well so that those who are, um, so that um, all processes of making the tea gets to stay within the country. For, so, so for those who are just like, they're saying words I don't even understand. What is a value chain and and why does it matter that it, it, it stays within the country? So essentially a value chain is, if, you know, if you just visualize a horizontal line yeah. um, with different, you know, points across it, the, the first point on the far left would be, you know, your farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the final point on the far right would be your consumer. So really yeah. we're hashtag farm to cup <laughs> and essentially the, yeah. And so a value chain is like every, every player that's, that's within that, that one line. Yeah. So, um, and it's not just a farmer and it's not just a packager. I mean, there are so many middle, middle players. There are, mm. um, traders, there are off takers, there are processors, mm. etc. And so what, you know, the current tea industry in Tanzania, you know, aside from Kazia too, Mm-hmm. I would say probably 90% of the tea from Tanzania is exported in bulk and it goes through a tea auction in Mombasa. Mm-hmm. And so um, that means that the jobs are being created, you know, for example, in Hamburg in Germany, where they have massive tea packing facilities, et cetera. Yeah. And so it, it is a lost opportunity, especially, I would say, especially for women. Mm-hmm. Um, women are not super involved um, in the agriculture um, sector aside from at the farm level. Mm-hmm. And so by bringing these jobs back, we are creating, you know, these two, 
these new types of job opportunities. Mm, right. Because when you're saying it's when it's in bulk and it's in Mombasa, you're saying just the tea leaves themselves are in bulk, not like it's not bulk of um, the final package of tea that is at the port. Is that it's literally, yeah. yeah, it's literally just the initially processed tea, which is just like basically once it's been plucked at the farm level, it goes to an initial processor, which um, crushes it and tears and curls kind of thing. It's a CTC tea or it can become like a rolled tea. But essentially, yeah, they throw it in sacks, they throw it on trucks and it goes off. Right. So really, it's um, it is basically the bare product. And so, and I'm sure I'm just thinking of all the different entrepreneurs I've talked to who do this work, building value chains in order to create their final products. Um, and, and, and so I want to ask you, when you first started um, the Tanzania Tea Collection, did you intentionally start it knowing that you wanted to build and create the value chain within the country? Or is that something that came as you started to see sort of go through the process of creating the final product we were definitely we were definitely thinking of what product we could do fully in the country that's a huge priority for us and that's definitely our bigger vision how does one even start from scratch because if you're saying majority of the tea is in its is it's is in its sort of tea leaves in its most basic form mm -hmm. where do you even mm -hmm. start in building <laughs> the yeah. value chain yeah honestly it started off like i was sitting on my dining table at home and i was like googling <laughs> suppliers of like teas herbs and spices across tanzania mm -hmm. and literally we visited a bunch of farms and we spoke to a bunch of farmers we asked them for samples and then I just went home and I started blending my own types of tea. Mm -hmm. And just, as I said, I'm a tea lover. So that was a really fun process. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, we, we decided on recipes and then mm -hmm. we, we said to the farmers, Hey guys, we're really interested and we want to support you. This is a long-term partnership. Yeah. And then we said like, you know, let's grow together. Okay. Um, and that's really how it started. And literally even like the packaging and everything, it really was, you know, on our dining table at home. <laughs> Can you give me an example of how you built a particular part of this value chain or a part of the value chain that really needed work and what you did to sort of pull everything together? And I know it's messy. I know it's not as easy as this is exactly what we did, but I'd love some insight into how you went about it. It, you know, we, we were definitely a bit idealistic in thinking that the farm at the farm level, they don't need a lot of support. And so mm -hmm. when, I would say that we've spent a lot of our time actually supporting the farmers in terms of like quality of the, of the teas, herbs and spices and quantity and just generally like quality control, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So that's really something that we've, um, we've invested in is, um, you know, regular monitoring visits at the farm level, um, you know, providing training through different local institutions, et cetera. Okay. And so, you know, I'm hearing like, you know, I'm hearing things like I went to farms, I met farmers, I, I, I sort of blended some of my own tea, I built a factory. What is the timeline in which all of this is happening? So we started in early 2018 with like the idea. Mm -hmm. um, our first like mini, mini factory, um, which was like half of a house that we rented out, yeah. um, was end of 2018. So really, it's been one and a half, two years. Wow. Um, it's been it's been a complete roller coaster. 
Um, but we are now in, in a facility that I can say we hope to grow in. So that's exciting. Excellent. And you saw how many farmers did you start with? Did you start working with? And how many do you have now? So we started with like just the bare minimum of um, of the far- farmers for our basic few early blends. I would say that was probably like 40 or 50 farmers. Mm-hmm. Now we're at 250 farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's across 14 farms across Tanzania. So some are cooperative, some are, you know, um, outgrower schemes, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then um, we're hoping we're, we've created this kind of new farm hub model. And with that, we hope to scale up to 4,000 farmers. Wow. So, so what is this farm hub model? Can you explain what that is? Yeah, definitely. So uh, as I mentioned, a lot of the um, investment that is required needs to go down to the farm level, but we need to be really strategic on what areas we invest in. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, after like a lot of trial and error of discussing with the farmers, we were like, okay, what do you guys need? And we realized it's like equipment and infrastructure, like a solar dryer or mm-hmm. um, like harvesting equipment. So like literally like plucking the tea off of the bushes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And these are things that they can't afford 100%. They do not have the finance for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, yeah, they're, they're, they just can't invest in, um, in such tools, etc. So we said, look, we would invest in that for you um, in these hubs. So like just we would, we would, for example, invest in a solar dryer for a group of farmers in a common geographic area. Mm. And then um, they would share that and then they would um, in turn increase quality and quantity. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can pay back in time, like over time with the, with the product. Yeah. And so we've piloted it. We're, we're doing that with a mint farmer. She's like a a mama up in Moshi um, mm-hmm. and she needed a solar dryer. So we just, we got one constructed for her mm-hmm. and we said, look, mama, you know, pay us back in mint over the next year and we'll mm-hmm. track it. And she loved it. She was super happy and we're really happy with the, with the results. So we hope to scale that up. And so do you have a sense of how many jobs you've been able to create from, from this product? Mm-hmm. That's it. actually a great question, and I should probably know exactly the answer. Yeah. Um, but I would. But it's really difficult, especially in agriculture. I would say it's really difficult to measure jobs mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. a lot of the farmers are actually smallholders, so they own their own land. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a matter of like entering into a job and exiting out of a job. It's just like the income. Yeah. So I would say you know we've really hiked up the income um, for all 250 farmers. Yeah. Um, in our factory, we employ 15 women. Wow. Um, and then across the value chain, you know, in the peripheral, so you know, through local printing of labels, of course, mm-hmm. we contribute to job creation there, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So it's definitely, I guess, it boils down to what we would define as job creation. Yeah. Um, and so for someone who is trying to build a value chain from scratch, um, yeah. whether or not they're in agribusiness, um, I know there's a lot of trial and error, but do you have any actionable steps that someone can sort of take into account um, when doing business? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, 100%, you know, in most of my conversations, I, it comes up about the balance between supply and demand. Mm-hmm. And one, and this whole value chain framework definitely helps with like understanding both sides. Mm-hmm. And so I would just say, make sure 
you know, you, you map out both ends and they should meet somewhere in the middle. Um, and so for example, in 2018, when we, you know, we, we did a lot of market research, we walked into supermarkets and hotels and cafes and, and different target, um, customers. Mm -hmm. And we said, you know, like clearly there is a huge demand, like let's make this happen. And then at the supply side of our value chain, um, you know, we, we assumed that, you know, there would be infinite supply, but in fact there wasn't. So definitely in a, in a value chain, I would say, make sure you map out the quantities and the, and, um, and make sure that everything is aligning. Okay, great. And, you know, tea is a huge export from this region and has been for de decades. Um, <clears throat> what is, what is the unique selling point or what is different or new that the Tanzania tea collection brings to the market? So one thing we do do, well, first of all, yes, you're absolutely right. Um, East African tea has beautiful grades and internationally is very competitive. Mm -hmm. um, we're all, you know, we're up there competing with Chinese tea, which is beautiful and historically just really, really great grades. Mm -hmm. um, and then Sri Lankan tea and Indian tea. Kaziyatu tea, basically Tanzania tea collection. Um, we, I think our USP, one of them is um, that we blend in spices and herbs as well. Mm. And all of our spices and herbs are completely naturally organically produced. Um, and we don't add any of that like artificial flavoring. We don't add any additives. And so again, with this growing global um, consumer demand on like health products and just being completely conscious of what you're putting into your body. Mm -hmm. um, that's definitely a huge plus. Mm -hmm. um, and of course it helps us impact more farmers because we're reaching not just tea farmers, but also like herbs and spices farmers. And what are some of your favorite um, tea blends from the collection? Mm -hmm. I'm definitely a huge masala tea fan. Yes. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a must. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's actually, that was our first blend with our cinnamon spice tea. So mm -hmm. literally that's like all day, every day kind of thing. Yeah. And then I love our herbal tea. It's a hibiscus tea blended with ginger and star anise. So it's caffeine free. So I'm always sipping on that at night after my dinner. And are all of those herbs and spices um, um, grown locally? Yeah, exactly. So they're all from regions around Tanzania. That is amazing. Who is the target for this product? Well, so internationally, I guess um, globally, we're looking at the growing kind of middle class that's, um, you know, age 25 to 45. Hmm. Um, you know, half of them are millennials that are very, very interested in um, impactful products. Um, the other half are, you know, very well-traveled people who, um, you know, who are interested in stories and products from around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we look at the European market, for example, we're looking at, you know, these growing like Whole Foods yeah. um, uh, and organic shops, et cetera. Locally, we're also selling, um, you know, across the, the markets of supermarkets, um, hotels and cafes. And mm -hmm. then we're looking at Interestingly, we're looking at South Africa um, mm -hmm. and South Africans are very interested in um, impacting, you know, people around sub-Saharan Africa. So mm -hmm. that's, that's a really interesting target market as well. And so as I'm thinking about you and agribusiness and thinking about even just the teas and the spices you're talking about, um, how does climate change play a role in the work that you do?
It 100% impacts us. From a supply side, it impacts us. So for example, um, if it's it's a very extended rainy season, um, then it's really hard to secure supply. Mm. Um, For example, uh, going back to my example with the mama and Moshi with the mint, um, the reason why she couldn't supply us mint is because of the rains and she didn't have a solar dryer which is why we invested in that. So definitely, it, you know, this unpredictable weather patterns, um, especially during the rainy season, it, it does directly impact our supply. Mm-hmm. In terms of, I guess, climate change and being environmentally conscious, yes, one, one of our main priorities is promoting only organic mm-hmm. um, production, which means zero use of chemicals, which means like less erosion of, of land, etc., Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, um, all of our packaging is environmentally friendly, so recyclable and or biodegradable. Yeah. And, you know, it's been two years and that you've been doing this. Um, and, you know, um, I, I was reading the Forbes article <clears throat> that you um, featured in earlier this month. And... Um, you were talking about how things were finally, this was finally your year. <laughs> You'd done the work of building and putting things into place and then COVID hit. But how did um, COVID affect the business and how um, you're managing it now? Mm-hmm. Mm. It was, it's been really tough and it still is really, really tough. So definitely from a demand side, you know, one of the reasons what, what I was saying in that article was um, this was going to be our year. And the reason for that is because we were gearing up for huge expo- exports to mm-hmm. Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the bad news is it was super delayed. The good news is it is on its way there. So okay. hooray, Europe will soon have our tea. Great. Um, in big stock. So, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, once it gets there, it's also still going to be hard because a lot of the shops are still closed. Mm-hmm. A lot of the distributors are just really overwhelmed. Um, and so it's really hard to secure B2B um, relationships right now. Yeah. Um, and then also locally. So a lot of our bread and butter was the tourism industry here. So a lot of the hotels mm-hmm. and gift shops mm-hmm. and like overnight, they all shut down. And right. like to be completely open with you, we've been making a loss the last, you know, however many months. And I think everyone is in the same boat. So I'm not going to complain. Yeah. Um, and then also, as I mentioned in that article, um, we did have a case of COVID in our factory and we did have to, um, you know, shut down for a while and kind of just change the way that we were doing things um, health and sanitation wise. Well, I'm assuming this is probably the hardest, um, toughest and hardest time in your business so far. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What have you learned about yourself from this time? I mean, of course, like the problem solving thing, I think to be able to start a business, we're all problem solvers. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be able to pivot very quickly and very strategically, I think definitely I learned um, that I could do that, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, and just taking really calculated decisions um, yeah. in a way that, you know, you can't look back, just keep going, just keep hustling. Right. Um, and that's something that you only know when you're thrown into the deep end with like a very thin life jacket. Yeah. And was that what it felt like, I guess, like a <laughs> being thrown into yeah, the deep end? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yes. It, and it's really frustrating, I think. I think it's important that we all remain super optimistic because, you know, we're all doing what we need to do. But um, it's really, it's been really, really disillusioning. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
can I ask before COVID, what would you have said the toughest part of the business had been? I think like the really early starting days. So it was something like, you know, we, we really, we knew what we wanted. We, we, we could see it and touch it and feel it in our heads. And then, you know, it's not tangible. And it was like, you know, we were engaging with government. We were applying for all of our um, licenses, et cetera. And they were like, this is such a new product. Like, what are you talking about? And we're like, no, 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 just trust us. Like promise, promise we'll get there. Just like, you know, read this concept note. And I think that was really, really tough is like, Proving to prove yourself without any traction is mm-hmm. really um, is very challenging, and I'm sure this is across every startup. Yeah, um, the early days, and it's something that you know you just have this strong um, gut feeling that it's going to be super successful, but you have nothing to show for it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was definitely a, a <clears throat> challenging time for us. And what keeps you going? Because it it is disheartening to to get the skeptical looks (laughs) and then also to, oh, but also just to be, but also you're also trying something new. It's a new concept Mm -hmm. as well. How, how do you keep going? How do you keep showing up every day? Yeah, definitely. I think it's the, it's the girls in our factory, to be honest. Um, They're total characters and they're like, I'm having such a good time working with them, but essentially, you know, these girls, a lot of them, they actually come from very, very poor backgrounds. Um, and they're just so positive every single day, no matter what they've left at home and they come to work They're mm-hmm. They've always been there. They worked on Christmas day. They, you know, because we, we had a huge order last minute. They, every time I'm down, they're the ones that are like, don't worry, you know, like caveats will grow. Blah, blah. So definitely that's very motivating to think, you know, these, these women come from really difficult backgrounds and they're sitting here comforting me. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, it's something to fight for and mm-hmm. it's just the beginning. So yeah. I, w- I would love to do that for more women, you know, you've lived around the world, but your roots are in East Africa. Why choose to come home, quote unquote home and, mm-hmm. and build the business here? I mean, if you look at opportunity, I think definitely, I think East Africa has a lot of opportunity. Um, And there's also a lot of like flexibility. So if I wanted to start a social enterprise in um, Dubai or Canada, which is where um, my family lives right now, it would be very, very difficult to have a very hands-on and very like vertically integrated um, business. Mm-hmm. And so definitely, I think being in Tanzania or even in Kenya, both, um, you have a lot of like leeway to do things that, you know, are very interesting and very hands on at all different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely one reason. Um, yeah. Secondly, as you mentioned, I mean, my grandfather had a sugarcane plantation in Moshi. So it just mm-hmm. resonates a lot with me um, in terms of my family history. And then I wanted to ask, because you do, you did start Kaziyetu with your husband and I I have a lot of listeners who start businesses with their partners or with family. And do you have any tips on doing business, especially starting a business with your spouse? Yeah, it's actually not that easy. (laughs) A lot of people will agree with me. No, I'm kidding. Um, We're, my husband and I are absolute extreme opposites. (laughs) So like, I'm, I'm really like big picture, like run, let's go, let's go. And um, kind of just like, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to look back. Like we have to drive this forward. And he's like very meticulous. He's very detail oriented and mm-hmm. he wants to do everything right. And everything must be like 
super applying to the team. Mm-hmm. So, but um, I would say leverage each of your strengths. So think mm-hmm. about what, you know, what you can bring to the table, what they can bring to the table and don't discount that. Don't, don't feel discouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really difficult for me because, and I'm sure a lot of people feel that is, you know, it's like, okay, well, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. Right. Um, but actually all of these things that he highlights are actually um, things that, you know, will make us bigger and better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so definitely it's about um, understanding and, and appreciating the differences. Mm-hmm. And then I would say just to any startup out there, whether or not you are starting with your significant other or with someone or, or if you're doing it on your own, find that person that you can bounce ideas off of and that, you know, follows your journey because it helps so much to think out loud and it helps so much to just have a second, you know, a second pair of eyes, a second pair of ears to think to think through things, definitely. Um, what two things would you tell yourself um, if you were if you were at the beginning stages again? Um, honestly, at this point, I would say if you truly believe in it, then invest more. To be completely open with you, um, my husband and I said, you know, well, let's take this the lean startup way, where mm-hmm. like you try, you test, you you fail, you try again, you test, you fail you validate, you iterate, et cetera. And like, we took the very like pole pole way. Yeah. Um, which is great because it means that we 100% know that we've built traction very organically. Mm-hmm. But I would say, you know what, if you, if you have a great idea and if you've proven it, then invest more. And I wish I look back at 2018, I wish I just said, you know what, put more into this and, mm-hmm. um, and, and you will get out more much faster. Cause right now, as I mentioned, you know, 2020 would have been um, more of a growth year. And I think it would have been more of a growth year if we did invest more, which a lot of people say the opposite. So I'm just going to be that guy. But also, did you not invest more because of doubt or you had to, or you had a specific strategy, the lean strategy that you decided to follow? Well, to be honest, we're completely self-financed. Yeah. Um, we are looking at impact investment. So essentially we're using our own savings right now. Mm-hmm. And I would say we have come quite far with our own savings, which is great, mm-hmm. but um, that's definitely, you know, a consideration. We're a young couple. We have a long way to go in life. Like mm-hmm. um, we, we didn't want to just pour out our savings, but in retrospect, I totally would have. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I should have put all my savings into this. <laughs> I understand. And do you have another thing you would tell yourself in the beginning? I think one thing I'm really not good at is asking people for help and asking people for favors because I, I don't want to take up their time, et cetera. But I've, I've definitely learned over the last two years that people really enjoy helping and they feel, they feel um, the joy in helping yeah. out. And so I think definitely don't be afraid to ask for favors. I wish I knew that. Mm-hmm. Um, and people used to tell me that all the time. Um, and I would be like, no, but what do I, what do I give them in return? Like tea, mm-hmm. a cup of tea. Um, but definitely people like people are great about giving advice or connections or, um, you know, thinking through strategy, et cetera. So definitely, um, I would tell myself that more. And like I'd mentioned to you, I have a segment called, I know what I'm doing because this podcast is called, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And in this segment, we talk about for a few minutes, something that I say, something that you believe you are really, really, really good at doing. 
And it doesn't have to do with work or business. It can be anything. So if I was to ask you, Tahira, um, what is one thing you are great at doing? How would you answer that question? I always look at the glasses half full, but that's nothing like that's super cliche. No, 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 no. Let's, let's talk about that. Um, so have you always been a glass half full person? Do you think? I've always been a person with, I'm I'm a super idealist. I'm a super optimist. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's definitely what's helped us grow this business is like, you just keep driving no matter what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of friends and family do come to me, um, for advice, et cetera. And what I love doing is making them feel good about what they're doing and about themselves. And what I love doing is saying, you know, look at the positives, look at, you know, what you're doing, what you're changing, um, and, and how you can do better, Mm -hmm. um, rather than thinking about, oh my gosh, well, this is not going to work and that's not going to happen. And that person's not going to help blah, blah, blah. So definitely I would say, um, I, one of my biggest things is about being optimistic. Thanks to here for this great interview. The Tanzania Tea Collection has amazing tea options, including cinnamon spice, ginger mint fusion. I actually really want to try that one. Hibiscus star, coco choco, Kilimanjaro green tea, and Kilimanjaro black tea, among many others. You can find these products and more information on the Tanzania Tea Collection on the Kazi Yetu website. This can be found in the show notes. Thank you, Tahira, for speaking with me. And thanks to season one guest, Tanya Mulamula, for recommending Tahira for the podcast. If you'd like to recommend an entrepreneur for this podcast, you can find the link to the recommendation page in my show notes. I have just a few more episodes of this season to go. And I want to know who you are and why you listen to this podcast. If you have listened to all or most of the episodes this season, I'd love for you to take 10 minutes of your time to fill out a survey. It would really help me in preparing and pulling together the podcast. You can find the link to this survey in the show notes. And thank you in advance for working on this. Okay, that's it. Thank you for listening and have another great week. So be it, see to it.